This is the organic stream. Welcome. If you look at the history of civilization, there is a direct relationship between the decline of soil quality and the decline of those civilizations. All these things came from the earth. They need to go back to the earth. We're not just keeping this stuff out of the landfill and making it broader. And that's the attitude you have to take. Every single day, somebody knocks on your door and says, Can I have your way to do Hi there, and welcome to another episode of The Organic Stream. I'm your host, Aline Murphy, and in today's episode, we're in Los Angeles talking to the project manager of the Inland Empire's Regional Composting Authority, Jeff Ziegenbein, about how best to grow and expand your composting facility without compromising quality or risking your business. There are a range of reasons why you may face the need to expand your facility, and it's not always a straightforward or easy thing to do. There are a great deal of factors to take into account and a certain amount of risk as well. So it's important that we share our knowledge and experiences with each other. And for that reason, we've asked Jeff to join us today and give us his own advice and tips on the subject. The Inland Empire Regional Composting Authority runs the largest enclosed composting facility right in the city of Los Angeles, California. And Jeff is currently in charge of this facility as well as the organics program and has experience in managing a range of facilities of different sizes in the past. In this episode, we discuss with him the reasons why composters may need to expand, the technological advances that can help with processing and odor control, and how to use the phased approach to growth in order to secure financing and to maintain production quality. Jeff also gives us a great look into what's happening in California right now in terms of organics and how this could affect the composting industry in California and North America. There's lots to explore in this episode, so do stay tuned. And before we start, I'd like to thank If You Care for making this episode possible. If You Care certified compostable bags are made from potato starch from starch potatoes, blended with a fully compostable polymer and are polyethylene and plasticizer free. If You Care potatoes are grown for starch only, unlike corn which is grown for food and requires 40% less land than corn and no irrigation. And now onto the interview. Okay, so to start us off, I'd like to just first explore the reasons why composting site operators may need to expand their facilities. In terms of closing the loop, it's often preferable to have a larger number of small-scale composting facilities to ensure that organic materials don't have to travel so far from their source in order to be treated. However, today there is still a great need for larger facilities and composting facilities often face scenarios that require them to scale up their operations. So, um, Jeff, you mentioned before we started that there are a few changes taking place in California that will see more composting facilities needing to expand. Um, Can you elaborate on this and maybe tell us some more? Sure. Well, California right now is going through a huge change. And uh, we're mandating the diversion of organics away from landfills. And it's a very ambitious goal. And CalRecycle, which is our integrated waste management board here in the state, has announced that they have this new paradigm. And they've even used that word. 
saying we want to move organics out of the landfill. We want to disincentivize or whatever we got to do to pull these organics out of the landfill for higher and better use. But the way this new assembly bill reads, some of the activities that are currently considered recycling will no longer be considered recycling, specifically alternative daily cover for landfills, where we've got a whole bunch of green waste and other organics going into landfills but not being counted as disposal, but rather as uh, recycling because it's being used as alternative daily cover. Under this new assembly bill, that no longer will count. So we're essentially doubling the amount of recycling in a very, very short period of time. So the, the impact to the organics world in California is going to be very, very profound. And uh, most of us in California and, and the other folks that I talk to around the country in the United States, kind of view that what happens in California tends to trickle outward um, or across the country and, and sometimes, you know, far beyond. So everybody's watching how this rolls out very, very closely. So I say that because when composters are facing different scenarios that may encourage them to, to change or expand their facilities, this is a big driver because right now California composts about 6 million tons of organics. So we in the organics industry are expecting that to double to about 12 million tons in about five years. So that's going to require more facilities, more markets, um, a, just a huge infrastructure. And I think one of the big things that we all need to be aware of is that's going to require also a lot of diversity. So we're going to have to be creative. We're going to have to open our minds up a little bit saying, well, it's not just one technology or one scenario or one application. It's going to require a lot of different varieties of that. So small operations, backyard operations, little community operations, as well as very large regional facilities, I think are all going to have to be constructed and expanded to, to satisfy this new goal. All right. So definitely one of the major reasons a composting site might need to expand is an increase in feedstocks. But um, how about regulations then? Because I know there are very stringent regulations in California that make it difficult for smaller composting sites to get off the ground. It's true. And California is a big state, but I think one of the things that's pretty common across the entire state is the challenge of siting facilities. We have a population in a state that doesn't usually like facilities to be very close to where their residents are. Uh, but as soon as the, or the further you move away from where your populations are, the more transportation costs you have and things like that. So we always try to build them as close as we can to where these materials are generated. Um, but in our state, we have a lot of very stringent regulations around water and air and nuisance and things like that that do require um, a little bit higher technology than I see in other places in the country. So, so for example, the facility that, that I'm operating here in Southern California, the Inland Empire Regional Composting Facility, this facility actually costs $90 million to construct. And that is a very large price tag for any composting facility. It may be one of the more expensive ones in the world. But the reason why it's so much money is because it's right in Los Angeles. It's in an urban area, and it's in an area that is very heavily regulated uh, by an air district because L.A. is not in compliance with the Federal Clean Air Act and is also heavily regulated with water and with lots of things. And so in order for us to be compatible to build a facility like this in this type of an area, it required a, a lot of engineering and a lot of infrastructure. The, the good news is, is that you know, we, did get it, we did get it built. Uh, we did get it permitted, and we're able to operate it at a very competitive cost. But the only way we're able to make all that work is by just a heck of a lot of volume. So in the case of this facility, we're operating over 200,000 tons every single year, and that's the, that's the reason why we can make this work. 
it's not always that easy. If you build a smaller or medium-sized facility with this type of VOC and odor control, VOC are, are volatile organic compounds, which are regulated in the air district. And so if you have VOC and odor control and you don't have a lot of volume to spread those costs over, you can price yourself right out of being a, a possibility. And so we see that challenge over and over again in the state of California, and I'm sure that's a common problem across the world, but I think particularly so in California. Okay. And um, just to clarify again, in case some of our listeners couldn't get that about VOCs, VOCs are volatile organic compounds, which are organic chemicals that evaporate into the air. And um, then, so Jeff, if regulations are very strict, it may force composters to invest in building covers or in more expensive technologies, which in turn would require them to scale up their operations, I presume. Yeah, the good, and the good news is in two major areas in California, have air rules that require the removal of VOCs. And when you remove VOCs, you also happen to remove most of the odors in the air streams that are remitted from composting facilities. So just by surviving in these air districts, we've learned a lot as an industry, you know, what does work and what works on a big scale. And so we try to share that information and, and teach others that, you know, these technologies do exist. They're fairly predictable on how they operate. I'm, I'm really talking about biofilters. But, you know, we're, we do have a pretty good understanding um, about how these work and we can use them in, in lots of ways, in ways that are very expensive, but also in some ways that aren't quite so expensive. And so um, I, we, we view that there's some hope that we can site more facilities in California and be compatible with the air rules and the neighbors. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, well, let's talk about these technologies then that exist for odor control and so on. Because also a factor here is that within the last 20 years, we have seen an increase in the amount and type of feedstocks being accepted into composting facilities. So biosolids, paper sludge, food scraps, that kind of thing. And then this is a great development, of course, but due to the increased complexity in the processing the material and controlling odors, it spurred on the need for more sophisticated technology to handle all this. So, Jeff, maybe you can talk us through what technologies are worth investing in today to handle odor and so on. Yeah, um, for odor control, what I mentioned just a minute ago is often a biofilter. And a, a biofilter is essentially, in most cases, a wet pile of wood. And the, the beauty of that is it's a wet pile of wood, and most of us can figure out how to, how to operate those. It's not that complicated. You don't have to have a full-time engineer um, with a bunch of fancy instruments. I mean, it really is basically um, this, this pile of wood, and we have to maintain it for moisture and to make sure that the air is moving through it appropriately, and we have to size the pieces of wood appropriately and things like that. But biofilters work. And so the good news is, is that we can, we can copy this and teach people how to do this and allow them to build these things fairly inexpensively. And so for odor control um, and for compliance with these air districts, a biofilter is a a very good tool and we're getting more and more confidence about using biofilters. Um, More recently, there's been a couple of variations to biofiltration, including some covers um, where they have some sort of permeable tarps and things that you can put over piles that have a bunch of surface area uh, in the tarp so the the water molecules will collect in the surface area, and as the air passes through, it's actually transformed kind of similarly to how it would be in a biofilter. Those seem to work pretty good as well. And um, one agency in the state, Association of Compost Producers, it's not an agency, a nonprofit trade organization that represents most of the composting companies in the state, um, developed a, sort of an alternative to, to all of those that I just talked about, where a 
finished compost layer is placed over a compost pile and then air is blown up through a compost pile. And so as the air is passes through the finished compost layer, that, that actually works as a biofilter. So that's even cheaper yet than securing new wood and, and having to size it and moisten it and all that stuff. And so that was done in the San Joaquin Air District that has very stringent air regulations. So the Association of Compost Producers representatives and some others came and, and, and put together this pilot project with a grant and demonstrated and measured the air emissions off of these piles using this sort of lowest cost technology. And it actually worked very well and got, I think, 98% removal or something. So, so that may be something that really helps facilities, you know, do the odor removal and VOC control at even a lower cost method. So that same technology is being tested in the South Coast Air Quality Management District, another district in California, to, to sort of verify it, uh, you know, see if it can be repeated and in another air district. And if it can be, then that may be adopted as a best management practice for these air districts. Right. So, yeah, that's very interesting, actually. And um, is there anything else on the market right now that you see as promising or worth investing in? I guess the most exciting things that I've seen are some of the different technologies in the tarps that can actually process the odors and the VOC control. I've seen quite a few of those actually work. And I like the simplicity of just throwing a tarp over your compost pile and, and then having these automated systems control the airflow and, and the temperature and things like that of what's going on in your compost pile. So some of these kits, if you will, to make a compost system, I think are pretty interesting. And as we get more and more experience, I could see them becoming an easy way for someone to go and start up a, you know, a smaller or medium-sized facility. You know, it's just a tarp and a, a probe that has like an oxygen sensor and a temperature thermocouple or something, and then goes to a, a small little motherboard that controls a fan. You know, I, I like the thought of that. I think things like that are, I have a lot of promise. Right. And um, your facility is a completely covered facility. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. The Inland Empire Regional Composting Facility that I manage is a converted warehouse. So it's actually an old IKEA warehouse. It's 500, almost 500,000 square feet. So a very large warehouse that has some conveyors and, and wheel loaders and things like that operating inside of it. And so all of the emissions from the compost piles are trapped within that building and then exhausted out through the biofilter. So the amount of control of the emissions is pretty extraordinary, actually. So the amount of control on the emissions and the odors is, is, is very good. Okay, so because of this, would you say that covering your facility or using in-vessel composting would be the best way to go when dealing with such stringent regulations or being close to residential buildings? I, it, I think it depends um, on where. Uh, we've looked at possibly working with other people and building additional facilities, and we're always kind of looking at things like that. And almost every time we, we get halfway serious about it, we end up envisioning a covered a fully enclosed facility just because of the reasons I said before about the um, emission standards and the odor control standards, um, that the only way we felt really comfortable in an urban area was to, on a very large scale, was to do the complete enclosure. I, I think if you're, you know, in, in a different area, not so close to Los Angeles, for example, then that's when you can get into some of the kind of hybrid technologies, like I mentioned before, that the Association of Compost Producers did. Mm -hmm. And um, now I'd like to focus on the process of expanding a facility. I know, Jeff, that you've had experience in managing many different sized facilities and been involved in expansion yourself. So um, what are the key issues then or challenges to take into account when planning your expansion? 
I, I think that the big challenges, I, I don't think this is any, in any particular order, but it would be environmental regulations, um, and that has some, some cost impacts, uh, markets, and definitely technology to make sure this material is clean enough to be marketed and processed, and, uh, and, and probably transportation. You know, th- th- those, those seem to keep coming up over and over again when I talk to folks about expanding their facilities or building new facilities. But it, markets are always a major concern. Um, in some areas, you know, less than other areas, of course. But it, in Southern California, which is a tremendously robust composting infrastructure, and we're, we're currently composting over 3 million tons down here, um, we need to expand markets. Right, so growing your market is one of the biggest points. And market creation seems to come up again and again. And it's something we talk about here quite often. Um, it is complex and it's difficult for composters to handle by themselves, of course. But um, what would you recommend to composters then as a strategy for expanding the markets? Yeah, uh, building markets is a long-term process. And it needs to have uh, the mainstream of people realize that it is important to not have naked soil and to just throw water at naked soil. And we do that all the time in the state and, and I'm sure across the world. And so getting that message across, I think, is very, very important. And in California, at least through the Association of Compost Producers, we're working on, on developing public service announcements. Uh, we're working with our water distributors creating model ordinances where it's requiring soil preparation before irrigation permits go down, um, just educating people that it's wrong to not treat your soil. You shouldn't just throw a bunch of water on sand and waste this drinking water. So I think in order to market, it takes this sort of broad approach. And then on top of that, it takes local approach. You know, you need to work with your customers and tell them why they need more, um, how to expand their market, what their messages need to be. We work with schools. We're trying to get children to you know, trying to get the message to them that, you know, you need to put compost down. So it's it's all of those things. Right. So, yeah, it requires a lot of work on both the local level and on the broader level, too. But then another big issue for expanding a facility is in securing funding and putting in place a workable strategy that will give confidence to the lenders and also to yourself when expanding. Um, how would you advise composters to start planning their expansion with these issues in mind? Yeah. Um, well, it, for example, to fund a new composting facility in California, to get a bank to come up with a bunch of money so you can build a facility, they need some assurance that that's actually going to work. And so if you just have this vision of this huge facility, 100,000 ton a year facility or something, a lot of times folks will go and try to get put or pay contracts and you know build these models and things, but banks sometimes aren't satisfied by that. And that can make the cost of money pretty prohibitive. So one of the better models, and if you can design a facility so you have this expandability to it and you can do a phased approach, then I think you have a lot better shot of success where you can have, say, a a receiving structure that'll take in a little or a lot of material, but that's usually a fairly inexpensive part of your process. And then you can feed these different operational trains um, for, say, one through four phases. And the facilities I've seen that have that kind of process I think those are the the smartest way to go if you can do it. And so, in other words, if you can get funding for phase one at 25,000 tons and you can make that business case work, then you can prove that out. By the time you get to phase two, your economies of scale are so much better and it really gives you an opportunity to expand a facility. Um, But then you're not starting right at this maximum best case. Uh, There's just a lot more risk for failure when you do that. 
you just need to demonstrate. I mean, if we're talking about borrowing, you need to demonstrate in a very professional way, you know, what's working and why your expansion is going to assure that you're going to pay money back. And so when you're doing performance in your business models and, and having enough comfort level in there, enough, you know, enough conservatism in there that the numbers are real and you can verify those, I think that's the key. Um, it's very tough to design a facility and have it actually work exactly where you estimated it would. And so I, I would just be as conservative as you can stand. And and then I think you have to have a little bit of a track record and, and your numbers are real. I, I, I think you can get the funding that you need. It can be done. I see examples of it all the time. Um, but it, you do have to put together a real performa and it has to have some sort of backing to it. Yeah. And in the U.S. at the moment, uh, financing is very tricky to get these days, what with uh, state grants and loans having been decreased over the last 10 to 15 years. So is it easier then for a composting site that's been running for a while to secure capital in order to expand? Well, I think it might be easier because I think if you go to a lender and you have this track record and then this proposed expansion, I think you have a little bit more confidence from the lenders. And there's also some grants currently with this new paradigm, as CalRecycle likes to call it. There also is some funding for facility expansion. So there's some money available that folks are competing for to actually expand their facilities. And that may, you know, that may get some of this started and, and give lenders a little bit more confidence in this whole thing, too. So I think there's a little bit more money than there was, say, five years ago. I don't think it's as, as healthy as it was 10 years ago, but it's certainly better than it was recently. All right. Well, that's good to hear. And um, if we move on then to the next big thing that you mentioned, which is regulations, um, it's always going to be a long process to go through when figuring out what regulations apply and how to comply with them. And we can see as well from our discussion today that they've shaped the composting industry and where we go with it as well. So what advice would you give to composters on this front and how can we best get on the right side of the regulators? Yeah, I think it's really important in, I, I know this is sort of a regional answer, but because again, we're sort of a case study, I guess. Um, in California, I think it's very important to be involved with a lot of these changing issues. Specifically, the Association of Compost Producers is this trade organization. It has a seat at the table. We have a lobbyist sitting in Sacramento and, and we are the state chapter for the United States Composting Council. And so we are working with Caltrans and CalRecycle and assembly people and uh, the water board and the air board and all these different variables that are impeding the growth and expansion of the of the compost marketplace very important to get involved and it doesn't cost a lot of money but to maintain involvement and get to know what's going on because the compost industry for a long time has been kind of a fragmented group of companies who saw each of their own projects as this sort of individual island um, but because these regulations have become so dynamic and impacting, all these groups have joined together for this kind of common cause to make sure everybody understands that compost is the highest and best use for this material and that we are a, a real industry with a real group of professionals and we are involved and we are funding staff to make sure that we have a seat at the table. And I, I think that that's probably the, the most important thing folks can do is, is to just get involved. And, and I think that that raises the bar, raises the standard. Um, it makes common standards. It keeps everything as professional as possible. And I, I think that's really one of the biggest keys to moving forward and successfully. Right. So your key advice then is for people to just get involved and then maybe we can influence how regulations are being created to support composting better. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely.
Excellent. And um, in terms of managing the facility during expansion, it can be quite a lot of work to maintain your quality control and odour control as it gets bigger and bigger. What steps can we take then to expand without losing quality or risking odour problems? Yeah, that's tricky. Um, It is definitely tricky. And it's not usually a linear change. So if you have some sort of control system and you do a 40% increase, you can't just you know, increase your control system 40% and call it good. I mean, it is, it's more complicated than that. And you have to be conservative, I think, um, when you are expanding a facility for the reasons you just said. Um, and it, it, the, the cost is so high. You know, if you have a successful operation and you go to, to do a 40 or 50% increase and you kill your whole project, you know, that isn't, a, that isn't anything that you want to have happen. So I think you nailed it. I think it does require a lot of planning and research and control measures to make sure that when you do make these changes that you're not jeopardizing your entire project. And we've seen that happen. I mean, it is very unfortunate. You, you know, you, this works. So if I do more, it'll work better. And sometimes that just is not the case. And so you have to build in a lot of safeguards when you start to expand operations. And uh, what would these safeguards look like or how would you go about this then? Um, well, there are a lot of professionals, not that you necessarily have to go and hire a full engineering firm, but there are some very competent professionals that can help measure and quantify some of those changes. For example, um, what's going into a biofilter? What is the cubic feet per minute and the concentration and the effectiveness of your biofilter? And if you want to expand to you know, some X percentage greater, you know, then what would your empty bed retention time in your biofilter need to be and, and therefore your square feet? And there's a lot of folks that can really help build in some of these control measures and then give you a safety factor. And that's really the kind of the take home what I'm trying to say is I think you really need to be conservative when you start designing expansions. And so, for example, if you wanted to expand by 50%, you might phase that in. Start with your odor control device and then do some sort of incremental increases in your throughput. That way you're not destroying your whole project. So if you doubled your odor control device, but then only increased your throughput by half, then potentially have this little bit of a cushion before you jeopardize your project. Right. So you need to go slow and steady. Uh, I think I think it's pretty important. Um, projects do get killed in California. It happens. You know, if the neighbors are against the project, the regulators start to fall out of favor with it, and the uh, the, the local enforcement agencies, and, and it'll kill a project. And it's, there's a lot there's a lot at stake. It's expensive to build these things in California. You do not want to get it shut down. Yeah, of course. And it applies to the rest of the world too. Yeah, of course. And in, in terms of picking out the right technology then for expansion, and there's often a tendency to source the highest functioning technology available because it's cutting edge and it might be easier to sell when looking for grants. But that's not necessarily the best option. <laughs> I, well, I think you're right. And we've seen examples of trying to fully automate composting processes. And often we end up modifying that somehow. And we end up doing as much labor or more trying to live with whatever savings we thought we were going to get from the automation. Um, Personally, I take whatever is the cheapest and the dumbest first and and work up from there and why, why you can't do this and why you can't do that. I think that really low technology or that inexpensive technology with the finished compost biofilter thing that ACP did is very good. I, I, it's not going to work everywhere, but that's one of the ones that you'd look at early on. You know, can I do this with a windrow? Oh, I can't because of the air rules. Okay. Well, can I do this compost blanket technology? 
oh, I can't because there's a, a retirement community three miles away or a mile away. Well, okay, can I use a cover? Um, you know, I can't because of, you know, whatever. And so you can, you kind of start ruling some of these out for whatever reason. Um, and then ultimately maybe you get to where you have a fully enclosed compost facility because that's just really the only thing that'll be compatible in the region that you're looking to build one. So I, I, again, I think you need to start simple and cheap and then work backwards. Yeah, that's very good advice. And so um, throughout our discussion, it's very obvious that there are a lot of variables involved here. And of course, every composting site will require a different solution because of this. But is there one piece of advice that you could give all composters out there who are looking to expand, no matter where they're situated? I would certainly recommend looking at other facilities. We have a lot of good examples around the world of facilities that work. And go look at them. It does not cost that much. Most facility operators are happy to show off what, they, what they've got that works and take a look at it. Find out why it works and, you know, buy lunch or something and, and spend enough time that you can, you can actually get the, the real challenges out of them. You know, ask the, ask the questions. You know, what are your biggest challenges and why wouldn't you do that again and those type of things. I, I think that learning from others' experiences are probably one of the most valuable tools that we as an industry can use. And through associations like, um, you know, United States Composting Council, et cetera, we have these meetings where all these guys get together and love to talk about their projects. So I, I, I think that that's a very important step. Great advice, Jeff. And unfortunately, we're running out of time, but it was a really great discussion. Uh, do you have any final words before we go? No, I'll just say that as our industry matures, that organizations like United States Composting Council and there's, there's others of those around the world, and uh, Association of Compost Producers in California and CompostStory.org. Things like this are really important, and I think that the industry needs to stay informed and stay involved and uh, share what they know and uh, listen to what others know. And I, I think that's how we mature as an industry and grow. Great stuff. Well said. And that's all we have time for now. So, uh, Jeff, thanks a million for coming on the show. Wonderful. Thank you very much. All right. All the best. Okay, you too. That was Jeff Ziegenbein for The Organic Stream. Remember, you can subscribe, rate and review the show on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments, contact us on our website compostory.org or on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is compostory.org. That's all for this week. Tune in again next time for another great episode. <laughs>